All right, everybody. So today we are back with another Q&A with Abel Chabayi. How are you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Good. This is, I believe, our ninth Q&A. They seem to be pretty successful. So I think. Yeah, yeah. Them. How cool. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll jump right into it. So this one is from Martin. Have you considered doing your next experiment on how little you can train and maintain your muscle? The more I think about it, I wonder how much training is a waste of time when you get beyond new games. Uh -huh. As you said in your last pod about the guys who trained with in the beginning, they had barely trained and they still have a lot of muscle years on. Would perhaps one full body session, one set, push, pull, hinge, squat, once a week, keep everything. I'm inclined to think a lot less frequent frequency than that would work, maybe out to once a month. Okay, so basically... Um, yeah, I think that's that's something that a lot of people have thought about. Uh, I can start. It'd be cool. Um, so there was a study somewhat recently, and I talked about it a couple times now, where they had people, I believe it was, I don't know if it was, sometimes they do it where it's like under 65 and over 65, but basically a, a younger group had maintained on one ninth of the volume and actually gained on one third of the volume that they were doing. And the older group maintained on one third of the volume. And I think they lost a little bit on one ninth. So all that to say that you can do a lot less volume to maintain. And sometimes I'll even hear people say things like, oh, well, they'll, they'll be correct in the concept. And they'll say, yeah, well, you know, you could actually maintain a lot less. I bet I would maintain 90% of my muscle if I just trained two days a week. And I think, no, I think you'd maintain 98% of your muscle with one to two full body sessions per week. Like I, I think it's way more. Now I'm not talking like again enhanced lifters. It gets different because there's obviously the whole enhanced side of it, right? But a natural lifter who's been doing this for 20 plus years, I think if they went to literally one full body session with three sets per body part per week, they would maintain at least 95 percent of it. Uh, and given as an example, I see of people who barely train. Like my brother's legs are still way like they look way thicker than mine and he hasn't worked out in like two years now he's he's heavier so the higher body fat is also in a sense almost like a stimulus there um but yeah i do think you could uh reduce it dramatically and then just real quick do i think that more training is a waste of time beyond new gains no absolutely not because this is maintenance but i think if anything you might need more stimulus to get that, you know, to continue getting the results after those first few years. So it just depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to peak out your natural muscle potential, I do think that you will probably need some more stimulus and more training. And I would not recommend just the one or twice a week. Yeah, I'm actually sort of doing that now because I'm I'm really so I, I was focusing on my back a lot this past year in general. As you know, like I'm always sending you like the different pull down variations and whatever in our little WhatsApp group. Um, and but even more recently, I kind of just took it to a next level because I also wanted to focus a bit more on arms. So now it's two things that I'm really focusing on. And I was just thinking to myself that okay, I just need more mental energy if if nothing else. So I started skipping lower body stuff and in particular quad stuff more and more and i mean i always sort of make the commitment that okay i'll do at least six sets like two times a week three sets of some squat pattern i, I surely can commit to that but to be honest half the time i even skipped that mm. so probably for the last 
I don't know, like two months, my average quad volume was around like three or four sets per week. And yeah, I didn't lose anything, although I wouldn't expect if you do very minimal work to lose anything at this point, especially because those are pretty high quality movements that I'm doing. But I'm curious how long or when will it be that I actually notice some shrinkage, if at all. Um, and yeah, you I said think you noticed cool. some uh, calf loss, right? After stopping calf training entirely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But that was complete stoppage. So yeah. that was, um, which is kind of, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess in a way that's gratifying that because it also means that with the calf training I did before at least did Worse. something. <laughs> right, right. Must be nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, um, but visually, to be honest, I really don't, I really don't see that. There are some angles where I just got like a big mirror in my uh, little gym room here. So I spend a lot of time checking myself out from the back, which I couldn't do so far. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like there are some angles where it seems like, man, like I actually have quite kind of thin legs. Like, is this like I shouldn't wear shorts that often? Um, but then at other times, if I see myself on video or something, I'm like, oh, okay, like it, it seems like it's still still as it was. So thin legs, yeah. like thin calves. Yeah, yeah, and so sometimes it actually seems like I I might be falling for the. Like in those angles, like I'm actually getting into like the chicken leg territory, like relative to upper body, which is like for most people, it's not never really a concern in, in most cases mm -hmm. um, because their upper body is just not going to get that big. But and and it's so it's it's not a concern in my case either. It's just there were some moments where I got scared. But um, but I, I don't know. But but in particular, the calves, like sometimes they look smaller. Sometimes they just don't, but there, there is measurable loss for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What was it? 15 and a quarter down to like 15 or something. It wasn't like huge. Yeah. 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 So it, yeah, it, it was like, it was basically exactly like my arms. It was thir 38, between 38 and 40, depending on how fat I got basically. And I mean, centimeters. centimeters. Those, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. 15 to 16, basically. And now it's it's a bit below fifteen inches. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Um, so so basically, I, I think we mostly agree. It's you know you can certainly do a lot less, but it I would not. I would use that as a hey, I'm super busy. I just started a new job or just had a kid or you know whatever. But not certainly, I, I would not consider that ideal. Yeah, definitely. All right. So from John, can we get a screenshot of your split? I'd love to see it. Uh, so Ooh. mine is a little bit complicated. So if people want to pause the video and kind of like write this down. Uh, so day one, upper. Day two, lower. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Rinse and repeat. Uh, so I, I train three or four days a week. It's literally just an upper lower split. I do six exercises roughly. Each one is about three sets. So I alternate opposing muscle groups. Uh, and that's basically it. So it'll be chest and back alternating, uh, shoulders and back, you know, more of like a vertical versus a horizontal pull for back and then biceps, triceps, and then lower body. Um, I actually start with some isolations there because I have specific reasons. I, I don't want to go as heavy on like squats or deadlifts or leg press anymore. Um, but you know, so I'll, I'll do 
leg extension, alternate with leg curls, which is always really annoying at my busy gym because it's impossible to get two things at once, even if they're right next to each other. <laughs> and, uh, and then I'll sometimes even do like the adduction and abduction. I don't know if it's really ever done anything for me. It's just another thing to kind of fatigue and get more volume because I don't want to go as heavy on those big compounds anymore. Uh, and then it's a leg press, still doing the, the right calf <laughs> ongoing. And that's it. It's really nothing complicated. I've certainly thrown in plenty of things within that structure, like rest pause, extreme stretches, um, drop sets. Obviously, when I was working with Steve Hall, it was a lot more volume. Uh, you know, that six months, it was five days a week and probably twice as much volume. But I didn't notice any difference, which, well, you know, not to get too ranty, but it is sometimes it really does even surprise me. Like you think, how could all this extra work not do anything, <laughs> you know, but it's just that's my experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a big conversation. But obviously, you talked about it a lot. But um, I I always also find it super interesting, and also, of course, makes me question just what is actually going on. So when you do something for six months, and that's your experience, if we were to look under the hood with a I don't know, like not even a microscope, but observe things that we I, I don't think we can actually observe. Is it actually nothing happening or some things are actually in motion? It's just it takes even longer to manifest or you would need to gain more weight for that to manifest or like, like what, what what is actually going on? Or your muscles are literally like, okay, okay, like this idiot is keep banging at us, but no, that's it. Like, just leave us alone. Like, it's um, yeah, lots of interesting stuff that are uh, cool to talk about. But yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you want to just, I mean, you, you kind of already said it, but your general split and maybe even during like a more ideal training time for you. Yeah. So I, so currently what I'm doing is because I'm focusing on my, my, like everything on my back, basically a lot. So that's, that's priority number one, because that, that was a legit legging area now less so, but I want to bring it up a lot more if I can. And then arms. Um, I basically have three different days, so I don't really have training days, but I have training days for my back. So be because that's okay. priority number one. So I just, I start every workout with like th one of three types of pulls, like either like a, a vertical ish narrow or shoulder width. So, so that could be a, a chin up or like a narrower grip pull down or a one arm pull down. Uh, even like a close grip, um, like lap, lap prayer or pullover type motion. Mm -hmm. And then I have a wide grip vertical-ish day. So that would be wide grip pull down, wide grip pull up, those sorts of things. And then I have a horizontal pull day. So that would be like all kinds of chest supported row variations. But two, actually, I have two pretty cool machines in my gym that I, I enjoy. And so I rotate through those. So it's basically ABC for the back, ABC, ABC. And then for the arms, I do biceps one day, triceps the other. So it's just like AB, AB. And then for presses, just to make sure that, because I, I enjoy pressing movements, I'm, I'm pretty good at them compared to pulls. And, and I'm prone to overdoing it. Um, so I, I just have vertical horizontal vertical horizontal so i usually do like dumbbell bench presses 
on the horizontal or some kind of a chest press machine and then dumbbell overhead presses or some kind of an overhead press machine, sometimes like a cable overhead press. So I have an AB for those as well. And, and to some extent, I rotate those independently. So sometimes I will skip chest work and then I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to move that to the day after. So basically then maybe up until then it was like when it's a day for the back, it's a day for the chest uh, or, the, or the presses. Now it's going to shift a little bit. So it's, it's going to be day A for the presses is going to be on day B for the back. So it's these three things that I'm rotating independently and then everything else. So lower body work, um, and I don't know, like, well, I mean, what else is there really? <laughs> um, yeah, really? like, like go on. Do you find that by doing that, it kind of affects your strength? Like for me, one of the reasons I try to keep things super consistent is because if I were to do this chest exercise and then a different one, or even if I change rep ranges, that can really throw off how I gauge my other work. So if you have these things not really consistent each time, do you find that the strength is inconsistent? Um, so, so interestingly, I don't, and, and, and that's because, so I, I do try to keep things consistent as far as how frequently I hit them at least. So I have this fit notes app, which maybe it's already available on iOS. So far it was only Android. I don't know, but, uh, but it's a free app. That's really cool. So I can see on each lift. So when I pull it up. And I see, like, let's say, 15-degree incline bench press. I see how many days ago I did it last. So based on that, it's like, okay, should I do it today or not? Um, and I'm not being random with anything. So, like, the exercise selection is is consistent. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty particular about not introducing new random movements. So I'm not freestyling things anymore. And so probably on some things, my strength does get affected but because i have a very clear priority priority list like everything else gets shifted around those priority things so i'm not going to do anything like randomly or to make it more convenient for myself that might affect one of my pulls for example um and or or for example i put it like i do so as I said, I skip quad work a lot, but I do my hinges every week, twice a week, because it also hits the lower back really well. Um, but I'm going to kind of move them around pretty flexibly depending on how recovered I feel my lower back is. And and then if if I have a like if I have a feeling that okay, if I move it here, then yeah, I mean, it would be convenient, but then it's going to affect my other back exercises. Then that I'm that I'm not going to do that because those are still a priority. So, so I'm 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 freestyling it a little bit, but never in a way where I feel like it could affect those priority things. My my chest and pressing, um, so overhead pressing and chest pressing movements are probably not quite ideally rotated, but that's not really a priority because. Honestly, like this whole front area is 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 not a lagging area. It could be better, but if I don't improve them for the next couple of months, it's I guess I can live with that. Yeah, yeah. sure. It's uh, probably maybe. way too long of a long way of an answer. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's just interesting. It's a lot to keep track of, I guess, you know. 
Um, but obviously with, for you doing it for yourself, it, it's more intuitive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the thing is I would love a, a very like constant, like consistent workout schedule and, and workout rotation is just that like, like sometimes I go to the gym and literally the first four lifts I would want to do are all taken all the equipment. And then I'm like, fuck, like, am I going to like walk on the treadmill until then? Or like, so some, sometimes I need to be a little bit more flexible. Yeah. Yeah. Since going to my newer gym, I unfortunately have stopped liking the gym as much. I think we might've talked in the Facebook group a little bit, but I, the main reason I, I want to get a bigger place is just for a home gym because uh, it's just so annoying mm. going there and um, their hours are iffy. There was one day I went and I couldn't, I was working late. I got there at six 30 and then I found out that the gym was closing at seven. I was just like, Oh my God, I did like two sets. <laughs> that was it. So, yeah. um, but it's usually pretty crowded. Yeah. So Could, couldn't you buy like a giant van or something and just put a home gym in there? And then like, even if you move in the future or something, you can just take the gym with you very easily. I don't know how much that would cost. It's like a giant trailer or something like the rock. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. that would be a lot. That's like yeah. a new house, probably. Probably. I mean, you could probably, I don't know. You just got like some dumpy one. Probably not the best place to work out in. Also, don't know where I would store it. But um, all right. So I'm not even sure how to pronounce his name. Hung something. <laughs> uh, all right. So Hung asked, hey, Dave, I've watched quite a bit of your content. Had a question. I think you mentioned that lower to moderate volume works better for you than high volume. What were your signals that helped you come to that realization? Also, when in your 18 years of training, did you notice a halt in visual differences and gains, or did you notice small improvements, or do you still notice small improvements to your physique? So uh, the I'll answer the second one first. That's a little bit easier. So I stopped noticing clear changes around 25 to 26 years old. So at that point, I had very consistent training for about 12 years. Uh, if I look back at pictures. I, my best pictures were taken probably summer of 2020, but that was simply because I got leaner than I had been before. I would not say that I had more muscle or anything like that. Um, and, you know, of course you can see yourself and think, oh, wow, I'm looking pretty good. But I think if you look at old pictures and you're like, oh, they're, you know, it was kind of similar to this time, but that time. So as far as actual tangible differences, yeah, I would say about 12 years in is where I, I stopped noticing that. And now it's mostly like, well, maybe I'll try to get even leaner than I was before, or I'll try to get stronger at this exercise or that exercise, but they're not really measurable differences. You know, at 200 pounds, I have about 17 inch arms, um, you know, bench press 225 for 15, you know, I've done a little bit more than that, but I'm just saying like, that's kind of just where I'm at at about that weight, you know? Um, so things have been more or less constant. As far as the first question, I would not say that I found low to moderate necessarily works better for me than higher volume, more just that I didn't notice any benefit from going higher. So I just not found that if I go above maybe eight to 10 sets per week for a given body part, much changes. Uh, one good evidence of this was back maybe 2018, Omar Esau put out a pull-up specialization program. And so ultimately between all the pull-ups and some other back work, I was doing about 30 sets per week of back. And it was the same time I was dealing with some chest issues, uh, never tore it, but it just kind of felt a little off. So I was doing basically two to four sets per week of chest. 
And over that six week phase, I gained just as much strength in my incline dumbbell bench, which is the only thing I was doing compared to even my pull-ups, which I was literally doing a specialization program for. Like it just wasn't, now again, it's a six weeks. It wasn't over a year or anything. Um, but I've done other higher volume routines. I've done, uh, like when I was training my neck, I had done it up to three sets for extension, three sets for flexion, and then even some side flexions three times a week. Didn't really notice it helped anything compared to when I was just doing once a week. Um, just a number of examples over the years where I just can't say I noticed much of a difference, but it's not that I would say the lower volume was personally better for me. Although you do hear that too. People say they were doing tons of volume or like junk volume. I think in that case, when they go to lower volume, it's oftentimes that they're actually pushing harder because they know that they can only do those few sets versus, you know, they're, they're kind of doing lackluster training if they're doing 20 sets per week sometimes. Yeah. And do you think that, because the, do you think that hypertrophy wise, it may, maybe there was a benefit, but it was just like over so long of a time frame that it's tough to tell or, or you didn't do it for long enough to actually observe it. The reason I'm saying that is actually a, a, a client, uh, not a client. Uh, I did a consultation with someone like two weeks ago and the guy asked me a very good question, which I'm, I'm surprised that we never actually really talked about this, that when people say that I noticed that this works better for me than this, how do they actually, how can they actually tell? Because like, these things are so like protracted over a very long time frame that it's, it's really hard to detect changes like this method works better than this. And especially, you know, if you gain, let's say five pounds of muscle, doing things one way and to be honest most people don't gain five pounds of muscle doing things one way by the time they gain five pounds of muscle usually things will have changed a few times but let's say they do if then they try something else and it works worse or not or or just as well i mean it's not if it works just as well you could argue that it actually worked better because every additional pound of muscle is harder to gain right than the previous because you're closer to your ceiling um, and in the same way, if it works worse, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually worse method for you. It just, it, it could just mean that, well, things are slower. Um, and, and oftentimes even the people like your Jeff Alberts interview was a good example of that. Like I've so many times that I've heard from Eric Helms, often he was actually kind of getting pissy about it that uh, people talk about Jeff's low volume, but then they assume that he hasn't tried high volumes. And yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that people like them, they are very systematic. They run a particular method for a long time and then they, you know, optimize it and then they try something else and like, like compare notes and whatever. And, you know, the way then how they describe what they actually did is like, well, I mean, that's for one, that's just one method of implementing, let's say, high volume in this case. Secondly, I mean, it's it's not that surprising that that didn't work that amazingly for you. I mean, what if you did, did this or that or, or whatever? Like he, Eric, when he lost muscle on lower volumes, right? Um, that that anecdote as well. So even even the smartest, most experienced people oftentimes, they're not that meticulous and systematic with how they are evaluating what works best for them. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. Uh, this was not, not addressed to you. As, as yeah. like, you should have done your experiment better. Um, it's more of just a general. No, it's a comment. super valid point. So this podcast will likely be released 
probably on the 8th of October, later today. So last week, if you listen to this, uh, will have been the podcast with Milo Wolf. And we, we talk about that exactly, which is to say, you know, how do you know what caused a change? I mean, most of the time you don't. And, uh, you know, we were kind of talking about this with, uh, with Brian in our chat and he was saying, well, I don't think anything could even make a 5% difference now. And I clarified with him what he was saying was if he has, let's say, 100 pounds of lean body mass, you know, or 100 pounds of muscle, whatever, let, let's say five pounds, 5% better would be 105 pounds. But that's very different than saying, okay, if I'm going to gain one pound of muscle this year, a certain method could make me gain 1.05 pounds of muscle this year. Sure, there's plenty of methods that could potentially be 5% better in that sense, right? So, um, but going back to kind of like with the, the Milo thing. So we were saying that so many people talk about how this thing was a game changer and this thing was a game changer. And 90% of it is just BS because how would you even know and that's the entire industry is making things sound better than they are and making people sound like they're going to get better results if they do this or that thing. This is why it is important to have large sample sizes and studies and that they're well powered. And, and even then, there's so many issues with so many studies. It's just crazy, uh, especially in this industry. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, this is something we talked about with Doug Brignoli, right? I mean, the guy has been lifting for probably 40 years and he was on a podcast with Mike Bizertel where he was like, oh, well, you know, Mike, when I changed to this, I think it was like maybe doing higher reps or something like that. Yeah. And he was like, man, I just, I was just growing like a weed. I just couldn't believe it. And I was like, <laughs> what, what are you talking about, dude? You're, you're in your 60s. You've been lifting for 40 plus years and you're thinking changing to higher reps. You're not growing like a weed. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy to say that, um, yeah. you know, it's just totally nuts. But there's so many examples like that. So I, uh, I I agree. I, I think you kind of have to go by the literature and then say, okay, well, the literature does favor higher volume. I mean, that is definitely true in, in most of the studies. And I don't think it's going to hurt. So I actually would err towards that. But I still think I still think it's better to start lower, see how you do, make sure you're training with enough intensity. And then you could experiment over months or even, you know, I think most people aren't going to experiment over years, but month long cycles and say, okay, I'm going to try this increased volume and see how I respond, you know, give it a, a 12 week training phase. And, and if you can detect in that time, I mean, at that point, you're really just getting the theory of just saying, well, maybe it would have worked over two years. So, okay. I mean, what am I supposed to say that? Who, do, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I almost think that some of the best observations that you can make about yourself is just looking back at your, your, your training journey as a whole and, and looking at the times when things went well, if you had some long and maybe even more so the times when things didn't go well. Like if, if you really had a, just a long, long period where you feel like you did a lot of things right, but for some reason, things just weren't going anywhere. Then looking back, okay, what, what, what is the missing link there? Like for me now, if I look back at my training for the past year, I could blame it some of it on the training because like, I really, I, I it's just like think things pretty much just stayed stagnant. Um, completely, I would say, um, Sometimes I even think in some aspects I regressed, but some of it, I could blame it on the training, but most of it, honestly, it's, it's more just a lack of bulking, like the, the lack of like gaining more weight. 
that that's what I would blame it mostly on. Um, so so that's that's one thing. And the, even with the low volume, so when people say I reduced my volume and the things went better, I think, yes, yeah, some of it is probably just pushing harder. Some of it could actually be that you were just over reaching chronically before. But I also think that a lot of it is just better like overview ability or better trackability for your training. Mm. Like you're, it's just easier to systematize things. And there are less, like when, when I was doing really high volumes, like something always acted up. Like I always needed to modify things. Cause like, okay, a bit of elbow tendonitis. Now my shoulder is bugging me. Now I cannot even sit down because my back is so inflamed. And it's like, okay, like if I just do 10 sets instead of trying to do 20, Thing, like I just recover more easily. Like I don't need to sleep nine hours a night or whatever to be able to do this. And yeah, like things can just work sort of okay instead of trying to do the optimal thing or the hardcore thing and not being able to recover from it. So like a lot of it not might not actually have to do with like, this is what you respond best physiologically or genetically. It's just that it's just, it's just more practical. So Yeah. Anyway, cool. way too long again. No, no. Um, let's see. This is kind of a long one. HXLO, this is a YouTube comment. Can you go straight from fat to bear mode without having to get lean first? If so, please explain. Uh, let's see. If so, please explain. Situation. I wanted to know if I can skip the current process of losing weight all the way down to the recommended weight range before going straight to bear mode. I'm currently 296 at 6'3". Started two weeks ago at 320. Lost weight insanely fast after cutting all the processed shit and drinks from my diet plus lifting daily so far. My question, what can I do to go straight to bear mode? I don't want to be straight lean when I get to that 200 to 20 pound mark and just be lean. I want to get that bear mode body type so that I have wide shoulders already and I'm moderately tall. Is that something possible? Okay. Um, so I personally in that situation would definitely recommend just getting lean. Because ultimately, sure, you got to do what you got to do, but I'll explain why. Uh, for one, if you're just new to lifting and you're 296 pounds, you are severely obese. So from a health standpoint itself, you really should lose weight. And you're not going to be just lean, like shredded when you get to 220. I mean, I have a friend who's 6'3", who's been lifting for 10 years, who is lean at 200 pounds. Okay. So I think that's just going to happen. It, it's, you know, unless you really bless genetically. Now you did mention wide shoulders, maybe you are more likely to have more muscle, but just saying, um, secondly, it will give you a good idea of what that base level is. So the first time you cut down, maybe not everything's done perfectly, but you can see, okay, when I hit 220, the first time, this is what I look like. Frankly, if you can be 23220 even at moderate body fat percentages, like 15%, that's still a pretty big guy. I mean, I think Milo Wolf, who I just referenced, he looks, you know, he's a pretty big natural lifter and he is 6'2 and probably like 220. And he, again, he's been lifting for eight to 10 years with, you know, lifting well, good strategies and all that. So um, that's a pretty good size. As far as the actual question of can it be done? One thing I will put in that favor, and this is something I've mentioned before is, why I, I've always said, and I've now seen other people agree with me on this, that this whole idea of the P ratio and you got to cut down to you know gain optimally, I always think was just kind of BS. Because I, I mean, think about who are the biggest, strongest athletes, right? They're pretty much 
NFL players, right? I mean, football players are, are some of the freakiest athletes out there. And I never once heard anybody say, well, you know what, like you're going to be a linebacker. You know what you should really do? Cut down, just get shredded first, because this way when you walk back up, then then things are really going to change. Like that literally never happens. Most of these guys were big, overweight guys from the time they were in high school, and they've just lifted and been really strong throughout. And they have a ton of muscle mass. It was never told that they should die down first. So I do not believe that. I think just being that high in body fat provides... I don't want to call it a surplus, but a surplus of calories. If you're not necessarily in a calorie surplus, but a surplus of calories for your body to assimilate muscle and do what it needs to do. So could you, in theory, just kind of maintain and recomp uh, and then eventually be a pretty hefty 296 with a lot of muscle? I'm sure you could. It's not the way I would personally want to go about it. It's not the way I would have a client go about it. I would say, suck it up cut down it's probably not i mean it, it, it being as high in body weight as you are it's really not going to take that long but i mean it could be you know six to 12 months and die down and then go from there is what i would recommend um can i ask you a question about this uh, just curious of your opinion real quick um sure. so on my video that i did on bulking someone asked in the comments and, and i have my own thoughts but i'm curious of yours if you like if bulking is necessary if you just stay at a like a reasonably high body fat so let's say like 20 ish mm -hmm. and you just do that main gaining there do you think that that would be say as effective as someone bulking at like 14 percent body fat um what do you think yeah i wonder if it's the same person somebody asked a very similar question on my youtube comments and then a different username asked so I, I think probably the same person asked an identical question on my Instagram, which is to basically to say, well, I'm not a fan of this bulking and cutting. Why not just say 18% year round and, and then gain there? I definitely do think that that is way better than trying to do it at say 10%, right? I think for most naturals, if you're trying to main gain at 10%, it's just not going to work for the vast majority of people. I think, as I mentioned here, with the football players and this guy, if you were 30% body fat, there's no reason that you couldn't gain a lot of muscle and then kind of slowly recomp, especially if you're new to it, right? Sure. Um, do I think it's as effective? I still think no. It's what I wish I had done kind of as a high schooler. I've mentioned before, I, I spent a lot of time not trying to get lean. I was probably still bulking the majority of the year, but as a high school student and when you're growing and going through puberty, I would say do not cut just stay in a mild surplus all the time because you have so much potential that you could stay, let's say 18% body fat and just keep gaining muscle throughout that time. You might even lose a little bit of body fat, you know, doing so, or just from a percentage standpoint, you'll be a little bit leaner. Uh, but do I think it's as effective as actually being in a purposeful surplus for months on end? I do not. Yeah, yeah, that, that's basically what I said. So I think it would work a lot better than trying to do main gaining at, at a low body fat, which, to be fair, is, is not even against what, let's say, Greg Doucette is saying, although probably he would recommend you staying leaner than, than the body fat that would be viable for that, I think. But, but he's not saying main gain at 10%. But yeah, so I, I think that, let's say you're 20% and you're just kind of hovering around maintenance, that would be 
maybe your second best option after bulking if you really don't want to bulk. But like, I, I just must think that there there is a difference. Like the energy that you get from actually eating the food is just more easily available for your body than the the one that's on you and like it has to be broken down first and whatever. So yeah, um, then we are seeing that the same way. Um, yeah. And, and I agree with you basically on, on everything that you've said to the guy. Okay. Um, uh, cool. All right. Well, then we'll go to Zach. Hey, Dave, I'm looking for some advice if you'd be able to provide some. I've been overweight my whole life. Started dieting four months ago. have lost 30 kilograms. Good stuff. I was 105 kilograms, now sitting at 75 kilograms of 5.9. However, I'm not sure whether now to carry on cutting as I'm down to 1,600 calories a day or lean bulk to build muscle then cut. Any help would be appreciated. Uh, I'll let you start this one, Abel. Uh, yeah, that's what I was afraid of. What was the beginning of this again? So basically, he was cutting for a long time, and he's just wondering if he should continue or... Yeah, so he was overweight his whole life. He dropped from 105 kilograms to 75 kilograms over four months. So, you know, four months isn't too, too long. Um, so that's a lot of weight to lose. He's now yeah. on 1,600 calories a day, and he wants to know, should he lean bulk or build muscle? Unfortunately, we don't have... An idea of his body fat percentage but yeah 75 kilos you said now currently yeah yeah and how tall was he did he say that five nine five oh okay 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 i so th this is always a, this is actually a, a much trickier question um than than a lot of people make it out to be like i had a video even where i tried to make the whole like cut or bulk question like very very simple as if it's just a matter of what your body fat percentage is and yeah in a different universe where people were completely rational creatures it might be that simple but when someone is in this situation this is the classic example where probably at five nine 75 kilos he is so it's it's like me being at like 84 kilos or something like that. That's not that's not too skinny. That's not, not too lean. Like I could definitely keep cutting if I'm not at my goal yet, especially when I was less trained. Um, but four months of dieting, that's not that's not trivial. It's not like a crazy long contest prep or something, or not like someone dieting from I don't know, like 200 kilos down to 70 and like two years of dieting, but four months of your life dieting and losing that much weight it, it, a lot of this comes down to, for me to what your mental state is when you're when you're there like are you are you feeling like you're just done with the diet the fact that you're asking this it probably means that there's something in you that makes you want to stop and i think that, that you're probably in a perfect place to actually stop and focus on just something else um and and also like probably Probably now you're, I don't know how, how advanced he is. Maybe you mentioned that as well, but probably you should be gaining a little bit higher than 75 kilos during a bulk anyway, um, if you, if you want to build muscle. So I think you could easily go from here, let's say to, uh, let's say 82 kilos or something like that over a couple of months, like your first, obviously you're going to be more than 75 because probably now you're a depleted 75. Um, 82 kilos, let's say over four months or something, do like a shortcut at that point, if you want, uh, see where you are at. Uh, and I mean, you, you could just keep 
hovering in this like let's say 85 to 75 range for a while and i think that would be completely appropriate um and then after that maybe go lower but i think it, it's helpful now to focus on something else that's most probably what it, i would arrive at if i was doing like a consultation with this guy or something yeah so this is pretty much in contrast to the last guy where the last guy was already severely overweight just trying to avoid the diet for this guy he's saying okay so i've already spent four months dieting and i've lost 30 kilograms which is a ton now we don't have his training history so that would be a factor so, and we don't know his body fat percentage so i mean you know if somebody was training for a long time you could be five nine seven five kilograms totally peeled right yeah. so uh so we we don't have any of that information but assuming you're not super trained I would say this would be a great time to do at least a diet break because four months of, I mean, if, if you lost that much weight in four months, you were in a pretty severe di uh, deficit and 1600 calories is quite low. So I would say this would be a good time where, and there's a lot of ways to do it. If it was me and I was really burnt out at that point, I might even just take a month and just slowly bring calories up. You might find that you actually drop a little bit more weight, you know, if you're holding water and whatnot. Um, but I would also be prepared mentally to gain some weight. And you might get to the point that you're on 2,500, 2,800 calories per day and just kind of see how you feel. I can say from personal experience, that's made a big difference for me. And then at that point, decide, okay, do I want to go into a gaining phase? Like Abel said, I, I think that's completely reasonable. Um, and spend a few months just kind of getting whatever strength you may have lost back and then going from there. But I think you're, you know, again, assuming normal genetics, if you're five, nine, seven, five kilograms, you're probably relatively lean now. Um, so I, I think you kind of have some wiggle room there. Yep. Yep. Yeah, definitely. By the way, have you noticed that like the taller you are, like these formulas, like, okay, your height minus a hundred, that's like a good, a good good weight if you're lean or that's not that good of a weight if you're lean like you should gain more muscle like that kind of uh very much favors um shorter people, shorter people so, yes for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah as does the formula some people say well for every inch it's seven pounds of lean body mass and i've had a couple of short friends say oh well that see that would mean that i'm diced at 200 pounds if i was six feet tall and it's like okay i, I do not think <laughs> <laughs> that is equivalent. It's probably more like four or five pounds. Maybe that would be more. I, I think that's probably more realistic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's see how many we got. Uh, two more. So thanks for the content. What kind of bulk do you guys recommend somebody with 25 years experience trying to eke out the last gains? Non-competitor, but trying to optimize hypertrophy. It's 25 years experience. Yeah. I mean, that's that's quite a bit. Yeah. Is it life experience or training experience? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I just said it in this recent video that controversially, maybe, but I would still say that you probably want to gain like a kilo a month, so like two pounds a month, if you want to eke out the last gains and like you want to do everything for that. If like leanness is almost as big of a concern for you as gains, then of course you could just cut that in half or a quarter or main gain or whatever but yeah I, I think um one kilo so two pounds a month is pretty much the smallest change that you can 
reliably track and be confident that that's actually coming from a surplus that you're gaining weight or some of it is coming from a surplus, whatever, whatever weight you're gaining, because it's, it's big enough of a change in your body weight that overpowers all the other fluctuations that you have, which could also make you gain weight basically. So, um, so that, that's what I would say. I had some interesting <laughs> or debates over that in my comment section under my last video, but, um, but yeah, you. So I would say if you are 25 years in and you've been lifting appropriately and you've done some bulks and cuts, obviously you kind of have to temper your expectations of what's possible. I do think that it would still be the best way to see if you have anything left. I, I notice that sometimes even these guys who say, oh, well, I'm against bulking. Again, I've said this many times on the podcast. What they really mean is they're against dirty bulking to super high body fat percentages. But even if you think of the guys who maintain being leaner, like let's say Alberto Nunez just competed recently. Um, I'm going to have him on again soon to talk about it. And I don't know what way he came in at, but he's still bulking and cutting, right? All of these guys are still bulking and cutting. If you are... If you are competing, you are almost by definition in favor of bulking and cutting, right? Because obviously you diet down for the show. And then at some point in the offseason, lo and behold, you're 25 plus pounds heavier. So you bulked up, right? Maybe you're not getting into, like in his case, he was 240. And I'm not saying um, Alberto specifically is against bulking and cutting. I'm just saying sometimes these guys who say they're against it, their actions are exactly what bulking and cutting are. So, um, but in any case, I would still say, you would want to, I would personally, this was my client, I would have them diet down to where they are happy with that they've maybe done over recent years, like a, a, a level that they could compare to previous years. Like, okay, well, this year I was this way at this body fat percentage, maybe it's 10%. So that when all is said and done after this whole long venture of trying to eke out anything else, they can see, did it actually make a difference? The reason being because if you just bulk up to fatter and fatter levels, yeah, you might be stronger or bigger, doesn't mean you actually made net progress at the same body fat percentage. So what I would say is, let's say you have been lifting for 25 years, you're 200 pounds and 10%, just to keep the numbers easy. And you've previously bulked up to the heaviest you've ever been was 220 at, you know, whatever the body fat percentage would be. I would say that if you really want to test it out, I would force yourself to bulk to a higher weight than you've ever been before and probably a higher body fat percentage and i would not even attempt to diet down unless i was hitting prs on like exercises for moderate rep ranges so if the most you've ever done was 50 pound dumbbell curls for 10 i would be pushing the weight up pushing the body fat up until maybe now you're doing you know 55 or 60 for 10 whatever that would be and then I would see what happens. Now I can tell you from personal experience, the reason I stopped doing the bigger bulks and cuts is because I did exactly this and it did not net me anything the last time I did it. So the heaviest I had been was 205. And I really pushed things up to about 220. And I took two years to do this. I dieted back down. And actually on the way down, it really did seem like I had gained a couple of pounds. But by the time I got back down to that particularly lean, like 185, it was like, oh, this is actually the same 185 as the last year. So at some point, just being lean for long enough, I just did not net anything. But still, with that being said, if you were to say, Dave, I want you to do all that effort, gain as much as you can. 
see if you truly have anything else left. I would still follow that method if I did not have any health concerns about, you know, being that heavy or life situations. I would say, okay, well, this time I'm going to bulk to 230. I'm going to do it over a year. I'm going to slowly gain, you know, maybe it's half a pound to one pound per week. I would try to get as strong as possible in moderate rep ranges. I would hold that for probably another year. And again, this is like most extreme, been lifting for almost two decades, trying to get anything else out of it. Hold that for another year, really try to quote unquote solidify the progress. And then I would diet down. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there was another one to two pounds of muscle gain from that. Like, I'm not saying it would, it would, but I'd be open to it. Um, because that's a pretty extreme method to see if you have anything left. Yep. Yep. Um, that's a, we, we should do like a, a, an episode just on this, like one time, like, um, I mean, just on like the whole bulking thing. I feel like there's just so much things to talk about there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I would do. Um, anything to add there, Abel? Um, no, just a very, very brief question on that. So do you when you say that you came down from the 220 and at one point it seemed like you were better off but then at the like leanest state it was it was not not so much the case uh did you like were you able to compare like measurements or was it just like as far as i remember i didn't think yeah. as good no that's actually so this was 2017 i bumped up to 220 I definitely was the strongest I had been. Not not as much as you would think. Like the 220 was not that much stronger than the 205, to be honest. But mm. um, yeah, and th those last 10 pounds was probably done a little faster than it should have been. I was definitely getting uncomfortable with how fat I was, um, relatively speaking. But my arms, like I said, were 17 and a half inches. I was doing, I don't even know, every, everything was significantly stronger. I mean, I have records for everything, but to answer your question so i had dieted down this is right when i was finishing up with dental school and i was about 192 and i remember and i had to have a, a small surgery but i had to stop lifting for a few weeks and i didn't diet but i always wondered like did this kind of mess things up a little bit i hit 192 and my waistline was the same as it was at i think 189 before mm. And I was like, okay. And now, you know, anybody who's taking a lot of waistline measurements knows that they could vary quite a bit. You know, I could have been a little bit more depleted and not had as much volume before. There's a lot of factors going to that. But my arms are also a little bit bigger. I think I had maintained 17-inch arms even down to about 195. Like things were clearly trending in a, in a pretty solid direction. I would actually say to this day, that and my summer 2020, it's hard to know which one was better because the summer 2020 was my best lean my, my leanest state and then that summer of 2017 was a little bit heavier point being uh yeah it, it was like okay cool i actually did net something and then i continued dieting continued dieting and like i said by the time i got down to about 182 i was leaner than i had been previously because i was lighter than i had been previously but at each given weight i was like eh, it, it doesn't really look like anything happened you know but uh but i would still be down like i said it, it's, it's not practical for my life anymore for a lot of reasons but if i was i don't know i would be interested to see okay if i took you know just go the whole jeffrey very scofield route and go to 230 
and see what happens. But it, it would be uh, very impractical for my life at this point, and I think quite unhealthy. Yeah, yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. Uh, and I mean, probably the responsible thing to do. Um, the the reason I'm asking that um, is because. So I was talking a lot with this client of mine about bulking and like the relationship between bulking and body fat. And I think he, he put it really well that it's not so, so like, yes, you have a genetic limit, but you almost have like a separate genetic limit for different body fat percentages. So like you, you, you might have reached your 8% body fat genetic ceiling, but your whatever 12% one is probably higher and then your 20% one is higher. Um, and so like, could that be a valid hypothesis here that on the way down to let's say 195, because it's easier to hold muscle at 195 at a slightly higher body fat than at 180, let's say you, you could actually like represent those or present those gains that you had but you didn't gain so much muscle that so that it would be significant enough to show at 180 because it's just harder to hold muscle there but if you let's say you stayed between 195 and then you went back to let's say not 220 but to 230 and then back to 200 so if you did it a bit longer eventually you could have gained enough so that it even would have shown at 180 um Maybe I'm pushing it a bit too far with that, but I know I totally think it, it could be reasonable to assume that because you do see that like it's it's very possible that okay I and others maybe are more predisposed to having a higher body fat percentage, grew up as fat kids and whatnot, and maybe at a sixteen percent body fat I could hold my own with other people who would be also sixteen percent, but some of those people are like an Alberto Nunez or a, uh, a Steve Hall or even like a Alex Leonidas or Alpha Destiny. These guys grew up lean or naturally lean. It's easier for them to be, let's say, 10%. So maybe at 16%, we'd be comparable. But by the time we tried to get down to 8%, I or somebody else who is not, uh, you know, as genetically predisposed to that would lose significantly more muscle. Right. I mean, that's, that is absolutely, I mean, in addition to just having very long limbs and whatnot, that's one of the reasons I just have no interest in dieting down to a true six to 7% body fat, because I just know for me, everybody loses more muscle mass, but you'll hear some of these guys like Steve or Roberto, and it's like, well, the last four weeks were really tough. It's like, okay, I think for some of us, the, the last 16 weeks could be really tough. Like literally the whole prep, anything below 11 to 12% would be miserable and you would lose so much more muscle mass. Um, and, and then even kind of the opposite of what you were saying, where somebody's, you know, it's 18% or whatever, they still have potential. A lot of people notice that their, let's say contest lean potential is improving, even though their off season isn't getting any more muscular because they've gotten better at the dieting process. Right. So, uh, I think probably the best example was Jeff Alberts gaining something like 10 pounds of muscle from one season to the next. I would bet his off season weight he maybe had zero to two pounds more lean body mass, right? But the dieting process was so much better. So you could say his his potential at, let's say, whatever, six or 7% went up dramatically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's, it's um, sorry, like we can, you know, we're been doing it for us, so we can move on just like a brief comment. Like the thing that we always say about how, like we make fun of the people who bulk up 
And they're like, okay, so I gained, let's say, like 20 pounds, maybe half of it is muscle. And then they diet down, it's like two pounds of difference. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, okay, bro. So yes, probably it was not half of it that was muscle, but maybe maybe they are not as ridiculous as we think uh, or like to assume. It's, it's just that like you will lose a portion of the lean mass gains that you made. I mean, obviously part of it is just that part of fat is lean mass, but some of the actual like contractile contractile tissue or what what's Derek's favorite phrase um you're you're actually losing as you're dieting down so yeah maybe you actually gained let's say, I don't know five pounds as an intermediate on like a pretty good bulk but you're only going to be able to like present two of those um when you're at 12 percent yeah. body fat yeah, no, I think it's totally reasonable for an intermediate who gains 20 pounds over, you know, an extended period of time to say half of it was lean. Doesn't mean half of it was contractile tissue, but certainly half of it could be lean. I mean, just the food in your stomach is lean technically, and you're going to have more of that going on. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So last one. We'll get this final one from Brandon here. Best way to deload less sets, less weight, less reps, or some combo thereof. Uh, I have a pretty boring answer for this. So I don't know if you want to go first or. Oh yeah. Mine is very short. I usually just say take three to maybe 10 days off. And when you feel reinvigorated, then just go again. And, and I, I suggest, suggest like, if you want, you can go in and do some light stuff, but still, I'm totally fine with just taking time completely off. So. Yeah. I, I think deloads are one of those boring topics to me that are outside of a competitor or like a power lifter or something like that. I just think it does not matter. Um, you know, there, there's just so much evidence now that like we talked about before about how much you can do or not do and maintain. And, and the fact that people spend so much time talking about all these different deload methods, because I, I've done many different kinds. So there was, you know, you could say, well, go in there and just do lighter reps. And I knew one guy who was a very big, uh, or sorry, lighter weight, was a very big advocate of that. And he would say, well, because it's not going to be that stressful for your system, which we know is not true. This is what the guy used to preach. So I'd go in there and I'd try to set 30 rep PRs. You know, I'd say, oh, well, what can I, and I'd go to failure basically, but it was 30 reps, so it wasn't going to tax me, right? Which is not accurate. And then other people could say, well, you could keep the weight heavy. Some people really strong advocates, keep the weight heavy, but do half the reps. So if you're going to go heavy for eight to failure, still use that weight, but do four. I actually do think that's a better method because you're not going to be pushing yourself nearly as hard and you're still getting that weight in your hands. Uh, but if you're deloading because of potential injuries and not just you're fatigued, then obviously you don't want to have equally heavy weight in your hands. You can still, I mean, plenty of people get injured not on the last rep, right? So uh, I, w- I would not recommend that either. And then you could do some combination of, well, I'm doing lighter weight and I'm doing fewer reps. And the only thing I really find that valuable for is to get you a little bit more excited. So this is more of a personal thing, but I have found even for myself, like I, I, as much as I love this lifestyle on the gym, if I have a week off, I am not thinking to myself, oh man, I just, I miss the gym so much. I have other things in my life I'm doing. And, and you're speaking to somebody who literally works out almost every morning on vacation. Like I personally enjoy that. And it's a big part of my life that I enjoy. When I have friends visit, it's like, okay, well, we will go to the gym while you're here. And so I'm, I'm a big advocate of that personally, but 
if I have to take a week off or something, I just don't think about that much. I just do other things. If you are somebody who finds that that kind of gets you off the wagon, then I do think some lighter sessions can motivate you to want to do more. When I've done this personally, I'll find, okay, I'm going to go and do two sessions, but it's not even close to failure. Because I'm now moving around and I'm doing things, I think, oh man, I can't wait until next week when I can actually push this as much as I want to. Um, so I, I have personally found that, but and I, I don't even deload that much anymore because my volume is not very high. I think, you know, lifting three days a week, you just don't need to deload. But if I go away or something, um, like I was just doing a lot of hiking in Glacier National Park, I took a full week off, did not matter at all, came back, was exactly strong, and, and it was just something to do. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, like it, it is definitely like also a mental break at that point, which can be nice, like changing scenery. But uh, Mike Israel, I just remembered, had actually a, a cool suggestion in one of his videos where, like, like how can you make deloading more fun? And yeah, like some people don't need it at all. Like just go do other things. But but like there were some cool suggestions, for example, like, I don't know, if you wanted to play around with some new exercises, like test the setup, whatever, but like you don't want to, do it while you're doing your regular workouts because it's just going to detract from time and also energy. But now it would be the time. Like, yeah, play around with that machine that always looked cool or mm -hmm. try this funky setup. Um, and then another thing I wanted to play around with, once I like, for some reason, I just love like mapping things out on spreadsheets. Like, this is very stupid, but <laughs> I, I mapped it out one time. Like this, it, it could be like called uh, the rotating deload and volume escalation pattern i should like pattern it before mike israel comes up with an acronym so tvh i don't know it's like a 50 15 letter acronym but um so it would be i don't know escalating volumes on like let's say all your presses um and then three weeks later beginning to escalate it on pulls but by the time the pulls would get too high you take a week off from the presses and then basically everything would overlap. So when it's the highest volume here, it would be the lowest volume here. So that like you're never overworking yourself. And because we don't know how much volume you need, like at one point you would do more and less from everything because we don't know if you really need to deload or not. At one point you would take a week off from everything. Um, but yeah, couldn't couldn't figure out the perfect pattern yet. But sure. So this is a question sent in by Dave McConey for you, Abel. Ooh. And that is on the topic of specialization phases. So this goes back to, I don't know if anybody remembers John Romaniello from T Nation. And he had this specialization article and I actually sent him my thoughts on it. And he's like, oh, I really like that. And I just never ended up doing it. I kind of put together a program for it. Uh, not surprisingly, it was a chest and arm specialization. And, <laughs> uh, but I never really did it. But there's a lot of talk. I just had base and bodybuilding on where we talked about the idea of shifting volume. And to me, it's kind of like, well, if you already, you know, like I said earlier, well, if I did 20 sets versus 10 sets, I didn't notice a difference. So you would think, okay, if you didn't notice a difference, then well, one, would the specialization phase even help anything to do more volume for something? But then two, I clearly was recovering from the 20 sets. It just wasn't better. So if that's the case, then why would I need to take away volume from, let's say, back to do more chest volume if I was already recovering from 20 sets for everything? 
right? So that that's one argument against the whole idea of specialization. That look, it just doesn't matter. You're well within your recovery capacity. It just doesn't do you any uh, good to do more. The other argument could say, well, somehow just if we can generate more resources or have more resources to generate growth for a certain muscle group, that will be more optimal. And in a way, kind of going back to the self-experimentation, I'm almost considering it in the sense that, well, what do I have to lose at this point? If it's already like, well, nothing is happening, why not just say, I'm literally going to stop training X muscle group or do it once every two weeks and do three times the volume on this and just see if anything happens. And I've done that for movements. Like when I was working on my overhead press, I was not doing much benching. I think I was doing three sets of chest a week and that was it. And I was doing 12 sets or whatever it was for overhead press. And that was when I hit my highest overhead press. But as far as for muscle groups, just wondering your thoughts on that. If, if you think either for self-experimentation or just legitimately noticing results, the idea of really taking away elsewhere and adding something. I mean, I already kind of did that with back, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that quite a bit as well. Uh, and I like that segment in your in your podcast where he said that his arms started growing when he finally reduced his volume elsewhere. Um, I I would note that it comes back to what I said earlier about you know don't take these things at face value. Um, yeah. So so okay. Can you tell me exactly everything that you did then? Because you know if he also while reducing volume on other things, he also moved arm stuff to the beginning of his workout. That's also a non-trivial factor. Maybe maybe it's not like a massive thing, but you know, I mean, if, if you're performing everything in a fresher state, that that could matter. Um, I so so it's one of those things that if this is the case, it's it's kind of a funky reason for that. It's like. There's like a total amount of protein turnover or something that your body can facilitate. And then, yeah, like it's just now spread too thin. So if you, if you take away, especially some pretty large muscles that, that a, there is a lot of area to cover in terms of like how much protein breakdown there is, how much needs to be replenished. And also just, you know, hard hitter exercises. Like if, if you take out hamstrings, for example, and you're not doing hip hinges anymore. Like that's that, that's quite quite some taxing work that is now eliminated. Um, so so is it that? I mean, it it could be, but it's I don't know. To me, I, I just never did it so far, and even now, I'm only doing it for convenience sake because mm-hmm. you know, like like quad work. If I'm putting it in the beginning of my workout which is probably the ideal place to place those because it's it's just it takes a lot out of you and I'm just not going to be firing myself up for that at the end of my workout. So if I put it there then man it's it's that that is going to affect other things for sure. If I put it at the end then probably I'm just going to skip it because by the time I will be too drained. So so it's it's basically that's that's the reason I didn't even want to skip it. I just ended up skipping it. Um but I also heard the same thing from, um, what's his name? Um, Brian, not Borstein, <laughs> Brian Miner, when I, we talked about progressive overload. Um, and I basically brought up the same point to him that like, well, but it shouldn't be like it's individual muscles, like locally you're breaking things down and they get repaired. Like 
why would it help my chest if I'm skipping quad work? And he said, like, yeah, you know, like that makes sense. But the amount of times I have seen with body with power lifters whose knees got injured or something, and we had to take out squats for a while, that during those times their bench presses shot up, that I'm inclined to think that there is something to it. So yeah, I'm I'm optimistic about it, but 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 I don't know. It, it's just to me the cost benefit thing has to be weighed, especially for like an intermediate for sure. Like if you're going to take away something that is otherwise like non-trivial for you to improve, to improve something else. I mean, man, like you really, really need to want to improve that other thing for that to be worth it. I think. Yeah. Now that is interesting that he says that I would wonder though, how much of that is, is that a neurological aspect in the sense of a power lifter because there was more learning skill to, uh, devoted towards the bench press uh so that i mentioned in the basement bodybuilding podcast was like okay so in theory you could have your upper body maximized by never training lower body i mean does that sound intuitively correct i mean that's just i i yeah. can't imagine that actually being accurate so plus you remember those uh those squats are producing a lot of growth hormone, which helps both biceps, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> oh wait, so you think that you couldn't develop an optimal like upper body or like a like a maxly developed upper body without training the lower body as well? Well, I've heard people say that actually. That's not what I'm saying, but I have heard people say that that they they think the discrepancy just would not work. Like you just couldn't have somebody who never trained lower body get maximally large upper body. So they've actually said the opposite of that. Um, I'm more just saying that if you believe what we're talking about here in terms of, well, if you take away from one for the other, that would lead to the argument of, well, if you want a maximally developed upper body, you would need to not train your lower oh, okay. body. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I, and I, I just don't think they're even necessarily that related i mean I, I certainly don't think that's true i certainly don't think that wow we'd all have bigger upper bodies if we just never trained legs i don't think that's yeah. true in yeah. the other direction i don't see why that would be true but i could understand somebody saying that like could you imagine somebody who just had literal like we always talk about people who like chicken legs or whatever but actually just no leg development and a maximally developed upper body would the body just not allow that for some reason like it just wouldn't it would just be too asymmetric. I'm not sure. Again, like why would that be the case physiologically? I think also just you're never going to see that because nobody who cares about maximally developing their body is just going to not train their lower body, you know? Yeah. But also like, so the the thing is that, like, can you imagine uh, a bicep, like a, like an arm that looks like, I don't know, like who's like, like if you look at the arm of Jeff Alberts, let's say, Mm-hmm. Like, could you imagine that arm on a body that is otherwise like completely underdeveloped, like zero pec development, zero shoulder, like like nothing, but has this like extremely well well developed, like muscular, like seasoned looking arm? Yeah, it, it, it like like there is such a thing as it. It just doesn't fit. Like it, no. Like I don't know why, but it just no. But maybe well, it does, but just nobody does it. I don't. Know. That's the thing. I mean, I think one nobody does it. Right, like who would possibly yeah. do that? But I could see if somebody tried to make some argument as okay, it's just not going. Like the body would almost 
stimulate muscle growth elsewhere. I'm not sure. One example I can tell you though, I have two friends who were, uh, they would bowl a lot and in high school and they were not otherwise active and their right biceps were comically bigger than their left biceps. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but it wasn't to the point that you would just see it standing out with nothing else, but if they flex their right bicep compared to the left, I mean, it, it was quite noticeable even now, which could get into a whole epigenetic thing on, okay, what you do when you're quite young, having a factor there, but yeah, obviously we're never going to see this carried out over, over years and years, but, uh, I'm not yeah. sure what the answer would be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Brad Pilon has, um, if anybody wants to check it out, was with Kino Buddy, uh, an episode where he mentioned something about this, that, you know, it, it could be that when you really have a tough time developing a muscle group, it could be that you just used up your quote unquote muscle allowance. So there's like a certain amount, like, let's say you can have like 30 pounds of extra muscle on your frame when you start. And if you gain a bunch of it on your legs, like maybe that's why you're I don't know, your chest has a tough time developing now. Like now that in that, put it that way, I think is BS. Yeah, I don't believe um, it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these, these th things have been around for a long time in various forms. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, guys. So ninth Q&A wrapped up. If you have more questions, post down below on YouTube. Uh, some people email me, but probably better to post on YouTube or Instagram and we will get to most of them. Yes, indeed. All right, Abel, um, I don't know how we're going to split this up, but in case it's just for the mind, where can people find you? Yeah, uh, it's SSD Able on YouTube and Able Fit Stuff on Instagram, still, surprisingly. 